Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I'm showing another photograph of mine today. This one from Mount Washington up in the Cascades. It's a really beautiful spot, and I really appreciated this uh, this day to photograph it on because of those uh, high-altitude clouds that you see in the photograph uh, with a lot of that dark, rich color in them. And it seems like a lot of, I don't know if it's moisture or thickness or density or, or just that parts of it were thinner and there's passing cloud or something like that. But I really loved the light that day. It was sort of a, a vanilla color, at least in the, the higher part. But you see those dark blues down toward the horizon where it, it seemed like there was a, a lot more of a heavy storm that was moving in. Uh, but it was a really cool spot. Up, uh, I think it's on off well, Highway 126. You take that to the end and then you come into that road that's going to take you down into Sisters right before the Hoodoo Snow Park. But you can go up there, and there's a, a number of spots you can get a good view of Mount Washington. Really beautiful, kind of picturesque peak, and especially when it's covered in snow like this. It looks almost like the like Mount Paramount, you know, the one in the movie, uh, the movie intro. But uh, it was a really cool spot. It's an interesting mountain, and it's a cool spot up there. I was really happy to have this photograph and a few of the others in the sequence come out the way that they did. And it's cool. I appreciate the uh, the kind of tonal color of it and, uh, and just the sharpness, the way that that mountain really uh, kind of has a presence in the frame. You really get that with that compression of the big lens. You can see more of my work at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. We did like a bunch of traveling and we recorded a bunch of stuff, which uh, was pretty cool. It was kind of a special project. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Marina, what kind of special work were we doing? It was super cool. We were doing some 360 video and photo recording. And it was really cool. Yeah, it was really interesting doing that. I did like a little bit of a podcast talking about the idea of 360 video and, and some of the GoPro Fusion stuff. But yeah, it was really interesting um, having the GoPro Fusion for for a week. We rented it and uh, we went around and we shot like a bunch of footage all over Oregon and a whole lot of different spots of uh, of some of like the natural areas that we've been where we've, we've had like the the just I don't know it's probably like the more high profile locations for landscapes in a lot of the, the areas in Oregon so it was really cool getting to run around and uh, maybe be some of the first people to shoot um, some high-end or higher quality 360 footage in those areas yeah I think so definitely I think there's some of the spots we got to that uh I don't think I really see many regular photos from. Yeah, yeah, not many people yeah, really go there cool in the first place. Yeah, and and really some of those locations were were, were incredibly beautiful. Like I was thinking about, Definitely. I was thinking about like uh, Sisters Rock that we did at the end. That that evening was just so cool. But just the uh, the the way that the three sixty video virtualizes is really interesting to, to look at, and it's kind of a, a neat kind of optical effect when you know you get to look out and you get to kind of turn your head and see just sort of the, the field of view that you would see if you were experiencing the place if you were traveling there. But it's really fun to get to see, especially in, in certain locations, you know, where you really get to turn your head and see different uh, aspects to the environment that are going on. Like yeah. when there's something going on. Yeah, it was, it's really cool. Uh, what a great job we, uh, the GoPro uh, camera does. Yeah. Just with the quality of it, it looks so real and so beautiful. Yeah, I was really interested in, uh, in how it was going to do. But, uh, but yeah, the GoPro Fusion is, I think, uh, the, the newest offering from... Uh, the GoPro camera company, and 
and you know they have they have their the regular uh you know, two-dimensional system still too, but uh, but the three three D six system is really interesting. It's not th- sorry, it's not three D, but it's a three hundred and sixty degree spherical image. It's built. I was talking about an equo rectilinear image that's stitched together from two cameras that record one hundred and eighty degrees of your field of vision, and then that's brought into the computer and stitched with the special software, the uh, the Fusion Studio software. And it's really interesting how it works, but I think all of this is really pretty new. If I understood right from uh, from like the the invoice and what I understood about GoPros, uh, these cameras really have just come out. I think it was it was marked as the, the, like the innovative product of the year at CES this year. So back in January, it was kind of pre-announced, and it won, you know, won some, some more, you know, it's interesting. But, uh, but I think it has really just come out for release in April now. And then, so we're probably some of the first people to, to even rent it from this company that has it available. So it was cool, yeah, last couple of weeks of, uh, of May, and uh, yeah, trying some of the new technology out. But the GoPro Fusion is probably the most adept 360 camera that's available for consumer use right now. And I think there was the other camera, the Rilo, which is a 360-degree camera that also has some of the video gimbal stuff that the GoPro has, but really I think the GoPro is higher end. And there's just, it seems like every time I've, I've not used the GoPro system, I've had a little bit more trouble, but I was really impressed with how it works. So that's really the only 360 system I've used. There's also the Theta camera built by Ricoh that does 4K video, and that's a little bit less expensive. I think that's been out for a couple of years, um, but, I'm, but I don't think that's the gimbal system, you know, the, the stepping um, kind of image stabilization. Man, that made a huge difference for our videos. We were able to watch them. Yeah. I guess you can preview them yeah. um, on your phone with an app. Yeah. Um, just from, directly from the camera. And it looks awesome, but you can see the motion from right. the stepping and stuff a little bit. And uh, it's cool when you process it through your computer and and see the, the effects of everything. The full stabilization is really impressive and it really makes it possible to have like a, a walking or moving video in 360. And I think, I think otherwise, given, uh, given like the change in access that would happen, you know, like as, as the camera moves through the 3D field and it's, it's Z axis changes or you kind of spin the camera a little bit, then it kind of throws the rest of the access off is how it would be without stabilization. But with stabilization, you're really virtualized in that location and you're kind of independent from the movement of the camera, which is what's really amazing about the way that it's able to do some of the recording, which which really gives you a much more immersive feel when you're watching the video because you can move the camera independent of any kind of jerky motion that the the camera recording had in it, which really makes possible for, for videos that are moving. I think otherwise... Uh, it would almost be nauseating to have video that was moving unless it was on some other kind of gimbal system. You yeah. Know, that, that's why probably you've really seen only only like kind of standstill videos up until this point that are related to 360 video. And what's really cool about the, the GoPro 360 is that it really provides you so much opportunity to do moving videos that look really good in this 360 immersive environment in 5.2K. So like when we're, we're compressing down to 4K, it's cool, but oh my goodness, does it take forever on this little laptop? <laughs> yeah, it does. Rendering takes so long. Yeah, so we had it going overnight. Um, so it's not a bad. I have a MacBook Pro. It's like a. It's a couple years old now, but there's really not. I mean, there's a few improvements in the MacBook Pro line, but not that many. And I would have had other problems if I had upgraded anyway. But uh, this one isn't like the top of the line by any means. 
it's capable, but the graphics card, I guess, in a laptop really crushes through fine in HD video and anything else that I've thrown at it to do editing and Final Cut. It's amazingly fast compared to the video editing system I would have had like in high school or college or something like that. Um, so I'm impressed with what I can do, but uh, I upgraded the, the final, upgraded Final Cut 10.4, which is the version that can handle some of the 360 footage. Um, I also installed the GoPro Fusion Studio app, and really it's the process of, of stitching the video together that takes the longest time. So there are enormous files to start with. I think just over the weekend we recorded like 200 gigabytes of files that we put into the and onto the drive. Yeah, it was a huge, huge amount. amount. Yeah. Um, and then so those have, that, that's just before anything's done with it. So I guess it's, you know, it's a higher quality video, but that then has to be stitched together into an even larger file. And then that has to be brought into your editor and then compressed or edited or rendered together. So all that takes a ton of time. And so, but rendering the stitching is what seems to take the longest amount of time. And if, I guess we had it going all night. I think we got in minutes, let's say, maybe six minutes of video for about eight hours of rendering, something like that. But it's a lot of rendering time just for this little computer. And you can see it going. I have this uh, this program, this uh, like iStat monitor program that shows you uh, like what some of your system components are running at. But it's just kind of pegging my, uh, my graphics system on this laptop. And so I hear that you really have to have a ton of horsepower power to get through a lot of the 360 video. Maybe that's some of the stuff you would have been hearing too about how you have to you have to really, that's really where having like a higher um, capability computer is, is, you know, where you see an advantage in doing this level of rendering. Yeah, my laptop uh, can't even handle what we're trying to do. You need minimum eight gigabytes of RAM. And then it helps to have an SSD so you can pull the video through faster or something like that. And then you have to have a dedicated graphics card, I believe in the system and it and gosh yeah even with a, a pretty modern system it is extremely slow versus you know a lot of other kind of editing rendering system that, uh, that exists right now but i think it's like one frame a second so if you were to think of like uh video is 30 frames a second i think it's rendering one frame out a second one i guess 360 degree spherical frame uh, or you know equa rectilinear that word that we were learning a little bit about so after it stitches it together, it makes that equirectilinear image of the two 180s sort of mapped onto a rectangle. Really interesting how it's doing it. But it's, it's fascinating to go through all this stuff. It's really fun uh, working with the GoPro camera stuff. But So yeah, this weekend we did like a bunch of travel stuff to try and produce some videos and photos and, and kind of make like a portfolio for some of our 360 stuff. So we traveled. Where was the first place we went? We went to like Saheli Falls. Yeah, really cool like? spot. It's cool. It's beautiful. Um, it was our second time being there, but our first time was just uh, a few days before that. So it was a new spot uh, to us, which is cool. Yeah. Um, it's along the Mackenzie River, and uh, it's a really beautiful place. It's a waterfall just right off the trail. And it's cool because you can climb down from the trail. Uh, there's a kind of self-made trail from, I think, people going yeah. back and forth down there. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool. Just a big waterfall and, uh, it kind of goes into a river that drops off into another little tiny waterfall. I don't know if you count it as a waterfall. It's a waterfall. It's a little fall. <laughs> it's a beautiful um, spot. It was really cool. I liked, I liked the, the way that that looked and, and it was interesting kind of learning from that as kind of a composition experience for 360 video or for making a 360 image is sort of being in the bowl of the action 
Right. Seems to be kind of an interesting way to produce it where you have something to look at. Let's say if you were mapping it onto the face of a clock, you have something to look at at your 12 o'clock, but also something to look at at your six o'clock so that there's a reason to sort of to sort of pan and, and move the camera and the frame of the field around. Yeah, it's a 360 photo or video. So the point is that you look in every direction. Yeah. So you really have to produce it for that. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be something interesting. Yeah. That was interesting about looking at a lot of the, let's say the viewpoints that are set up for, let's say the, you know, the the perspective that would be taken for a photograph, let's say Um, that, and those really don't seem to work very well for composing these 360 images. So I guess that's kind of the tip or the thing that I learned pretty quickly is uh, when trying to put it together, like you can't be back up against the trail or back up against the road or something like that to, to kind of view out toward whatever the subject is, let's say the waterfall in this case. Um, Because really what you experience most of is 180 degrees of just a trail and and dirt and trees and things that aren't really that that interesting visually to look at. So it's interesting trying to to mediate all of those different angles that you could look at in a 360 degree view, which is where you really have to think about the, the method in which you're composing the image a lot to put yourself in a position where there's something pretty at all angles of view that you have. Isn't it difficult to think of, you know, like in photography, you just have to try and worry about getting, getting just that little bit to look good in composition. But in 360, you have to think about every, every field of it, every part of the field of view. Yeah. It was a fun and uh, interesting additional thing to think about with composing something that's like visual media. It is really fun, but it's a challenge. It's, um, I don't know. I guess it's just a different type of perspective of, of trying to, to think of something that looks good. You know, something that a lot, well, like looking at 360 video, a lot of people don't seem to notice that part of it yet. Um, right. They'll, they'll be like a, a background that's just a driveway or parking lot sure, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Where, uh, where, so that's why I'm seeing like some of the, the successful, um, the successful elements of 360 video are bringing you into an immersion of it. And, uh, of course, you know, of course that's what you do. But so it was interesting going through and, uh, and trying to produce some of that, uh, in this way. But even with, uh, like some of the, the company videos that I did, like trying to walk through and do like a, a tour of uh, a retail location. Um, that was kind of interesting to do where, you know, instead of maybe skirting the side of the building or something, but you just kind of walk right through, but it's interesting where you can, you can have the view 360 degrees around you. So you're really trying to like build an environment where you get to see the perspective. It's cool. Um, so we went to Saheli Falls. We walked the trail around there, which is a, a place also where I learned the same lesson about composition, where the trail is beautiful out toward the river or out toward a lot of angles. But then the trail is also not that interesting. It's also kind of just a lot of wood or, you know, a lot of broken pieces, a lot of, a lot of wood and branches and things that aren't really the forest in its beauty. So it was right. interesting to see that. Yeah. When you're using it, you really do notice pretty quickly what is not visually interesting or yeah. attractive. Well, you just, you, you see all the places around you, you would not take a picture of. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I wouldn't take a picture of that or that or that or that, but that's all in the picture now. So, so it's interesting to kind of consider that sort of stuff, but that, that's really the, 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 the challenge, I guess, in trying to do storytelling or composition in photography for 360. But it's, but it's also possible too. like, like, like what we were saying we found is getting to that center position, like a, an area with a Creek and a waterfall is really kind of uh, naturally conducive to being compositionally interesting for some type of 360 VR content where you have uh, a semi static, but comprehensible landscape that you're surrounded by. And then in a waterfall, it's sort of a natural position where you're going to have a, a geographical bowl where you're sort of set 
in with it. It's also going to be green around all of your angles. You know, it's, it's blowing water up and it's sort of making everything green. Um, and then you have like the creek that flows out from that. That's another piece of motion that you get to look at. Um, so all of this kind of pieces sort of work together where you can look up and see like the forest and stuff around you. Um, so that was a really pretty way to shoot that. And uh, it's a really interesting way to kind of look at and visualize what was there. And it's fun to see, you know, afterwards, you're like, well, this is like, this is like what it was when I was there. So it was really fun. Um, but yeah, I like doing the hike stuff along the river there too. I also like the photos that we got from up there. I was talking about that or some of the images, just the still images that we took. Oh, through, just with the just sun through seven R, yeah, of course, yeah. There's a beautiful area, so I'm um, just you know obviously like still liking to take pictures. It was really fun to take photos. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Water. Well, you know, Very like, pretty the spot. spring uh, snow melt is so like crystal clear right now that the water yeah. just looks blue. It's yeah. like a light luminant blue to it. It's cool. Yeah, it was really beautiful. The water was really blue, and it was so clear. You could see all of the the rocks, and a lot of the rocks had. Uh, like moss on them, I guess. So it was green underneath the blue water and it was really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. That was a beautiful spot. So th that part of the Mackenzie has always been really interesting. And I think, uh, there on the Mackenzie on, and then I think it's, well, actually, what is it? The, uh, maybe the Calipulia, the Santiam, I don't know. The one that goes up from like, uh, like Corvallis, Albany, that one's really nice too. Or, you know, it's like really mossy and like, or it just looks uh, foresty, that sort of a thing. It looks kind of like a rainforest almost in some of the spots. But um, but yeah, it's a beautiful spot getting up there. So we traveled to there. We went up kind of in the Cascade area. We went to a bunch of spots. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. For the longest time, I was shooting with Nikon cameras, and I'd always uh, really liked doing that. But most of that was always kind of um, maybe constrained by budget. For I think I started with a Nikon D40 back in you know 2007 is when I bought it. The camera probably came out earlier than that. I really enjoyed uh, kind of picking up, and that was like an entry level uh, DSLR at the time. And now it's like really antiquated. I sold that off now years ago, and kind of moved it over into other other camera equipment over time. Uh, but that's what I got while I was in college. It was a really good camera for me to learn on and, and kind of learn some of the, the fundamentals of working with a digital camera. And I had a lot of fun working with that. I made it like a ton of photographs with it. Then pretty soon after that, I tried to switch over to something that was more of a professional body when I was trying to take some of the work that I was doing a little more seriously and when I was trying to get hired as a photographer uh, to do really even just student projects at the time. I was trying to uh, get a couple extra lenses and I was trying to get a couple um, stronger features in the in the camera body that I was using. So at the time, I think it was in like 2008, 2009, actually, I think it was in 2009, um, I bought my first, uh, like professional body, the Nikon D2H. And at that time it, that was already a pretty antiquated camera. And I think in yeah, 2009, it probably came out in 2003, 
I think is what it was. So it's already like a pretty big gap in time there. There's been, you know, at that time, especially in that decade, there was just so much advancement in the way that sensors worked and the way that uh, the 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 seam, or it wasn't even a CMOS. It was like an ELBCAST. It was like an LBCAST named sensor. I don't even know what that is, but it was different than the CMOS system that would be in a lot of cameras. I think that maybe we'd probably find now, or you know, like the the the, the sensor piece in the back. And it, it wasn't full frame either. It was uh, in even the professional line. It wasn't full frame. It was still like that crop sensor that Nikon had. Um, so it was good for for a long time, and I was really happy to use it and happy to kind of learn on that camera. It had a ton of features, and really, I'd probably go back to that that full professional body of Nikon. Um, if uh, if I was just to pick any camera that I wanted to use, I think like a Nikon D5 would be an amazing camera to work with. But at the time, uh, what I was trying to do was get a job at a newspaper, like the student newspaper, when I was going to college, uh, and to try and get some jobs, and or you know, trying to you know get get some activity to try and go and take different photographs in different locations. And that job was great. It was cool working for the student newspaper because you get to go to different locations and try and make some interesting photo out of something that's probably not very interesting. It's normally like a a person talking uh, to a to a classroom with beige walls and low level ceiling light or something like that every once in a while you get to go to a football game or something like that something that you you don't really have the opportunity to go to normally that was really fun that was interesting and it provided me a lot of uh, opportunities to do some some different or you know work with different lenses work with um, you know different lighting and, and some sort of you know interesting and dynamic subject matter but a lot of the time like I'm mentioning it was like um, I think I had to go photograph that they were removing pipes from a student building on some side of campus I hadn't been to before, so it was, it, it was the I was supposed to take a photograph of the absence of pipes. It didn't really make a lot of sense. It wasn't really a very interesting photo, and there, there was no people or story around it. So uh, it's you know it's always something like that, or it seemed to be often something like that uh, that was just like had almost no subject to take a photograph of. So it was a challenge in that way, uh, but it was really fun when you got to do something cool. So that's that's why I bought that that Nikon D two H, and then to accompany that, I I think uh, I tried to save up some money in college. That was hard for me to do. I tried to save up I think like a hundred and fifty dollars or something like that to buy the the 50 millimeter 1.8 lens uh, that was like I don't know the, the version of Nifty 50 that they have over on the Nikon side it was great to use and I, that that kit there that the D2H and the 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 50 millimeter was what I used to take a bunch of photographs for the next many years it's a great kit of uh, of a camera to have and it worked really well to to I think like a bunch of the cool landscape stuff that I did on the the first couple of trips I did were just both with that setup um, so I bought the, that that I bought that Nikon D2H used on eBay when I made that purchase of it. And I used that camera probably for the longest amount of time. Like uh, I think I used that up until like around 2013 or so when I was kind of trying to shift away from it. Uh, and that's when I was getting into more uh, film photography stuff. At that time, I actually I switched over to a, an even or just a different camera, a Nikon N80 film camera, because I was, I was doing a ton of stuff with uh, with film and film rolls at the time. And then I bought uh, a Nikon F4S, uh, another film body camera that was from like the the 90s, I think is when that one was manufactured. I think it first came out in like 1988 that I probably mentioned a couple times. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there. Some stuff on the homepage. Some good links to other other outbound sources. Some some links to books. Some links to some podcasts. Links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. 
But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanAphoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.